<laughs> Hello everyone, welcome back to Even More Eyes to season whatever the hell we're on right now. Um, and we are looking into the a new release, actually. Um, I mean, it's relatively new as at the time this is going to come out, which is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Now, this is, I think, the possibly the last of the Indiana Jones movies because the way it was pitched and set and considering the timing mm. and the fact that Harrison Ford is literally not in the place to do this anymore. Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's about 96 honest, now, a, isn't he? <laughs> exactly. That was like almost explicitly referenced within the movie anyway. So <laughs> in a sense, we get the subtext. And as long as it's not trying to pull off like a M. Hollywooder on us, then it should be fine. And by that, I mean trying to find some way to like resurrect the franchise or something. Or like Indiana Jones has a protege that took on his name knowing that it was a pseudonym and blah, blah, blah. Like, mm, I don't know. No. So <laughs> anyway, long story short, uh, let's get into the synopsis of the film. So uh, James is here, obviously, because Hi. this is our podcast. I don't see the need to announce the other co-hosts. Um, <laughs> so James... <laughs> Give us the breakdown as to what this film was about. I know I've already started dropping some bits of it. Yeah, you have you have to excuse the um, the slightly gruffer voice, but I I just thought I'd emulate Harrison Ford. <laughs> this episode, I thought... <laughs> no, I have a cold. Um, okay, so so this film is set about oh, I don't know ten years after. Oh, 13 mm. years after Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, if anyone remembers that. Um, this, it starts earlier in World War II where we get a, a, you know the standard indie action sequence and then moves forward to 1969 where mm. Indiana Jones realises that he's a sort of man outside of the progress of the time. So everyone's obsessed with the moon landing. They're not really interested in archaeology anymore. His students are... You know, disinterested. He is no longer married. He's about to go through a separation. His kid has been. Something's happened to the kid. I should say before we get into spoilers. And um, mm. basically, on the day that he's retired, a goddaughter from the past we've never seen before uh, appears to basically get him interested in a new venture, which is to find mm. the lost dial of Archimedes. Something that. Indiana Jones came across before because the goddaughter's father was obsessed with this particular piece of um, ancient trivia. And of course, mm. so they go off trying to pursue it and they are once again pursued by Indiana's favourite and uh, famous or infamous foes, the Nazis. Um, though, of course. In a kind of like post-World War Two sort of rat run uh, project where they've been lifted up and, and inserted into the American establishment. So off mm. he goes on a quest that is going to take him to not just all those other, you know, the usual places that Indiana Jones uh, ends up going and usually causing some kind of ruckus, but also beyond, beyond. And yeah. uh, that's where I'm going to leave it before we get into spoilers. Yeah, I mean... I think at this point, anyone who is listening to these things has the common sense to either, I don't know, either they're going to use this as like 
inspiration to watch the film, which I did not know why you would do that, considering how I sound <laughs> in half of these podcasts, or, <laughs> or they've already seen it and they want to see what someone else thinks. So getting into the actual meat and bones of the film, I mean, for starters, the whole thing opens with your standard um, action sequence. There's a train scene in which they are trying to find, I don't know, like artifacts for mind theater. And, you know, um, of course, based on what we know from like, I don't know, biographies of Hitler or something or how he was described. He did have some like mythical slants to his idea of like, you know, the whole like pure race mm. and whatever. All of that was just based purely on mythos. So I guess they can kind of shoehorn this into that. But honestly, I couldn't really tell, to be fair, like how that related to World War II in any way. But they had to find a way to make the two things relevant. So um, Indiana Jones is there as well. I think trying to get the Lance of Longinus or something, which is a different... Mythical oh, yeah, artifact, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, apparently that turns out to be a fake, but the dialogue of Archimedes is like the real deal. And they go into this entire sequence of the train that involves like fighting through Nazis and running on top of the top of the train and shooting Matt Mickelson. And all said and done, Indy supposedly jumps off the train with the dial or like one half of the dial or something and takes it back to his you know, where all good things go to rest, which is the Museum of Natural History or some shit. Um, Mm -hmm. In that first scene, I mean, first of all, I get that they were trying to do the whole, like, um, CGI re-render of, like, young Indiana Jones face, but, I mean, Mm -hmm. I have seen app filters on an iPhone that did it better. Like, sorry, there was some point in it. Like, that, that face was so janky. It was so disorienting. I mean, it wasn't even, like, matching... In some places, it wasn't even, like, matching the lighting and, like, what I would expect normal skin tone to look like. I know they probably did their best, but, like, that wasn't it. And considering that this technology has been used before for Fast and the Furious 7, when they use it for, like, Paul uh, Walker's face, where, like, mm. you know, to insert him into the film, like, after he had passed away. So... I was like, okay, this technology has existed for a while now. Like, Fast and Furious 7 was God knows how long ago. Like, how are you still getting this wrong? You know? I, I just couldn't take my eyes off the weird, like, face thing. But then, eventually, you know, Indy fights his way through, blah, blah, blah. Then, they, like you said, they get back into present day, as far as the film is concerned, which is shortly after the moon landing. My first thought was just like, what even is this? A lot of things were very shoehorned. It just seemed like mm. this this shouldn't be a thing at this point in the story, but it just came in anyway. Like the whole thing with like the Nazis being the bad guys was like this is so dated. Like could you just come up with, I don't know, a group of people that aren't doing the same crap? I mean like okay the main motivations of the characters in the film, I wasn't sure what they were about. Like, Indy really had no reason to dive back into that entire thing. That's just like, you know, one final adventure or something. I'm just like, Sir, you're old. You're old, your joints must be aching. What is all of this? And, you know, they kept on trying to bring back all the previous characters from all the other ones. And, you know, it was... It just kept giving me whatever they did with the last Jurassic Park film where, like, all the old people were just coming back again. And I was like, yes, I get it. These actors are still alive. We just want to remind them that. We just want to remind us that this is part of, like, this large canonical body of work in which all these people were once in their prime doing x y and z but i'm like at this point like okay the the recent viewer who isn't going on a nostalgia trip i don't know what this is about for them does that make sense because for someone like me who is in his 30s yes like indiana jones has some nostalgic appeal to me but unless unless i had watched any of the previous stuff or given a crap about the entire body of work to date 
this film just seems kind of like out of place because it doesn't really say much about anything. It doesn't really explain much. It's just like you get the sense that Indy is just trying to dive back into an adventure for reasons. Hmm. But yeah, that's kind of where I'll stop my critiques of the film and then I will get into deeper stuff later. I'm just going to give you a chance to talk before I take over this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that sort of begs the question, doesn't it? Because at the end of the day, when I remember as a a teenager going to see Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, um, I, I do remember watching the original, you know, three Indiana Jones films and... You know, they were sort of in the same vein as Star Wars, obviously much made by the same people, same compositions from John Williams. And so when Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came around, I think at that point it became clear. It was like, oh, he's a bit older. You know, there isn't really much point of continuing this when it came to a conclusion at the end of The Mm. Last Crusade. Even though, to be honest, there's there's always been something very episodic about each of uh, of the films. And I think, to be honest, if we think that, you know, that was two th- it was 15 years ago, however long it was ago, yep. that they came out with yep. King of the Crystal Skull, that in that time yep. gap, there's not really been much sense to try and make another Indiana Jones film, not least, as you said, because it's Star, and to be honest, they're, unless they're going to, you know, like you say, do a protege-style film where he, he's in the background... Is is getting into his, you know, he's an octogenarian now, and he's he's going to yeah. be in his nineties in the next few years. So to be honest, it is part of something that we have seen quite a lot of, you know, especially in the last probably about ten years, if not longer, about trying to make sequels and uh, and reboots and so on. Like you said, exactly in the you know in the vein of of uh, Jurassic Park take these older actors now who were around then in the 90s and the 80s and so on and put them into basically a retread of the same story. Simply put, I think this is complete nostalgia bait. Yeah. I don't think, to be fair, that there was probably as much wink, wink, nod, nod, nudge, nudge as uh, there was in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You know, in that, Mm. I remember there being bits where you would see, like, the Ark of the Covenant. There would be, you know, very explicit references to the Indiana Jones adventures of the past. Yeah. In this, I felt that there was at least a bit of restraint. There's some nice interactions where if you know about it, then... um, you can you think oh okay and I know that what that refers to so I don't think there was yeah. as much in this I think I found it to be just yet another Indiana Jones adventure yes he is older and it does try and work in some themes around obviously the thing about aging and being past yeah. your prime I do think there's something quite disturbing in a way about this depiction of older life where your previous heroes are very miserable now because they're old. Yeah. <laughs> we saw that yeah. quite a lot in things like Star Wars or whatever. Um, um, yeah. I thought the basic story was very much obviously a throwback to the originals. I think it's Mangold, James Mangold, who directs it, has done it aesthetically very much in the vein of those first three films. There's nothing yes, com- yeah. out of place. There's nothing really strange. Yeah. I think there is a fair amount of uh, good humour. I did laugh at various points. I think there's there's a charm yeah. to it in places. Yeah. 
What I would say is that what we don't see, and I don't know whether this is a plus or a minus, because I was also thinking about this in relation to the No Time to Die, which obviously was the last of the Daniel Craig films. And I was thinking mm. there's no real attempt to really strip away at this particular character or the no. genre. I mean, I suppose you could look at Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character, but and we'll get into that in a bit. But I, I think that... There was no real attempt to look at the Indiana Jones myth, really. No, um, no. And I don't, again, I don't know whether that's a plus or I don't know whether it's a minus. But at the same time, yeah. maybe what people still want with the Indiana Jones films is this, you know, cavalier running yeah, around um, exactly. the world seeking, you yeah. know, particular uh, artifacts and sort so of on. Character. I think it was, yeah. yeah. And it's not some kind of weird. Uh, alien, you know, strange thing they did. They did, you know, over ten years ago. The last thing I'll mm. say before we before we move on, just to pick up on a couple of things you said as well. I agree with you to some extent about the CGI beginning, which I think has been one of the draws of this. You know, that like it was all over the trailer. The fact that you saw a younger version of Indiana Jones done in deep fake. Yeah. And personally, I think there are definite moments where it just doesn't look right. In the same way, there are moments when, for example, he's doing the 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 horse riding on the horse and stuff and you can clearly see it's not a real face i think the big problem is is really the voice like his voice just doesn't match and i think there's something around lips i mean i've said Mm. i don't know whether i've said on the podcast before but they cannot do lips lips just seem to be the mouth area very very difficult yeah it's it's too complicated yeah. to replicate, and yeah. so the minute yeah. that you know when they pulled the mask off his face, you look and think, "Wow, okay, this is you know a young Indiana Jones." It was it was somewhat convincing, but the minute he started speaking, it was like, "Oh, okay, it's it's completely fake," you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I think that was it. Like, it was just something in that like uncanny valley sort mm. of like what's what's going on here. I just couldn't get over it. <laughs> I just yeah. couldn't get over it. I just kept staring at it. I'm just like, why? Why have you done this? Piggybacking off something you said. Yeah, like mm. uh, the goddaughter's character, I think that was played by Phoebe. Um, yes, it was, yeah. Fleabag. Yeah, she did. Actually, I think she was the only person who came up with some sort of critique as to what Indiana Jones actually stood for. You were just like, well, mm-hmm. you know, you rob tombs, I rob tombs. Like, I don't understand why we are trying to make it sound like we're doing very different things. It's just like you rob it for the museum or you think it needs to go into like an archive somewhere when I'm just putting it on the black market. And yeah. I was like, at the end of the day, isn't that literally the same thing? Because when you put it into the museum, who makes money off that museum? Mm. A specific set of people. So they've just created a market for themselves where they're the ones who own all the artifacts. And I was like, okay, I can sort of pick up what you are dropping here because I do believe that there is something to be said about the entire premise of what Indiana Jones is based off, which is this idea of like artifacts as public property and not just public property, but public property belonging to a particular set of people. You know, because Indiana Jones, everything that he steals goes back to the, where does it go again? It goes to the Smithsonian or something. Um, so yeah she makes a very valid point and also when it comes down to the indiana jones character himself i think this film maybe did some attempt at like humanizing him to some degree because Mm. in all the previous Mm. films he's just like an he's an agent with the cause you know he's just this guy who is running around fixing situations as they arise he's a sort of master of um, improvisation you know swashbuckles his way through whatever he's doing dodges stuff at last minutes 
whatever you know mm-hmm. there's all of that mm-hmm. stuff that goes with like into the mythos of indiana jones's character but there is nothing particularly like fixedly human as to who he is and what he really wants out of life like what is his point we know what he does we just don't know who he is and yeah, i think this yeah. film was the closest we ever came to any sort of like exploration as to some depth to his character besides yes. just being this yes agent of something in many ways it kind of made me think of you know something that you referenced earlier which is no time to die um which is like the that's like the last daniel craig james bond film because james bond is in the exact same vein he's just this agent of something um and there was no real consideration as to who, what does james himself actually want and yes, what is yes, he yes. doing all of this for and i think it was in no time to die that was the first time that they actually like sat down with okay like this is a character with like a dark past traumas etc and all of this stuff feeds into who he is today and you know like so i think that's mm. this room is maybe the closest we've come to any mm. sort of like tacit exploration as to what indiana jones is as a person really yes yeah yes, because yeah. besides that he's just been an agent of something he's been an agent of for better or worse the state really because he is the person who goes to get the stuff that eventually makes the money mm. Mm. And many of the things he's getting are from other places. It's never been, he's never gone to like, I don't know, Nevada in the US to find something else in the ground. No, he's off, you know, getting the Ark of the Covenant or he's getting this from this other country or that from the other country. So to some degree, it is theft. (laughs) (laughs) Like Indiana Mm. Jones is is just a very, he's just a very compelling thief. Like, let's just, (laughs) let's just say what it is. (laughs) So, like, at the end of the day, when I'm thinking about what this character is about, like, retrospectively looking at the previous ones, I'm just like, Phoebe's character makes a good point, which is that we are both thieves, so I don't understand why you're, like, up on my case about how I choose to steal. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, drag yeah. his ass, yes. <laughs> I, I think, I, I, I agree. I think that the, their dynamic was very interesting in the film because one of the things she does do is very much take on that younger indiana jones style so i mean he says to how did you end up like this and she goes you know i'm what resourceful uh sexy whatever the hell it was and you're thinking there's there's parallels between the two yeah exactly yeah and i think that what was interesting though is um one of the criticisms that was made, obviously Shia LaBeouf in the previous one, her in this one, is, oh God, we're going to have the, this is the younger version. And of course, for certain people clutching their pearls, it's, and it's a woman, you know. Mm. And I think what I quite, I thought was effective was the fact that it still did portray her as someone who was, and I think it's interesting what you said, there's moral ambiguity there, but there's also just a level of honesty when it comes to yeah. the position that she's in. She says at the end of the day, like, you know, the only thing that she really believes in is cash. And I think that as an audience member, you can probably sit with that discomfort. She's not like, um, you know, in the previous film, Shia LaBeouf's character was, in a way, he was like Indiana Jones, like sort of a costume, he's kind of a lovable rogue, where with this, Mm. you do get to sit a bit with her duplicity and her her level of self-serving. Yeah. And I quite like that. I, I'm not the greatest uh, fan of Phoebe Waller-Bridge in, in other things that she's done, but I do mm. think that she was really good in this. I mean, she's got the wit, yeah. uh, the, the little winks and, and knowing looks and her delivery, I think, is really, really, really good. Yeah, um, yeah. So j- just to pick up also what you said about like humanising the character of Indiana Jones, because there is an extent to which Indiana Jones just 
really is a costume. Like I said, it's the whip, it's yeah. the hat, it's the it's the whole look. And um, two things with this film. One is that, yes, I think that scene where he has with her, and they obviously talk about, you know, um, Mutt, Shia LaBeouf's character having died in the war, and mm. um, that there was that one note in the film about his sadness and so on, and the fact that he is also realising that he like I said at the start he's a man out of time now he's no longer relevant in that world partly you know as I say because of his age and and maybe because the world isn't really concerned anymore it's looking to the stars it's not stuck in the ground and I think that um I think like you said there's definite elements of that where it's it's not as explicit or necessarily as clear as, as we saw in like No Time to Die the other thing I'd say though however is that the ending to me which it's a brilliant ending, I have to be honest. I love the third act where they go into the... It's just absolutely bonkers. You've yeah. got like a World, War II, uh, a World War II or whatever plane with Nazis on it and Indiana Jones go back into the siege of Syracuse in the time of yeah. the, the Greeks and the, and the Trojans. <laughs> yeah. so it was absolutely bonkers. Absolutely yeah. brilliantly bonkers. But when he says... I want to stay here, you know, and I want to see history. It just felt really flat for me. It just didn't make mm. sense. And also, like she said, I think it was, uh, I'm glad they put the line in. It's like, you'll die of, of the dysentery or you'll die of whatever within weeks because, yeah. you know, you know yeah. you're not, you're not acclimatised. No yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like the film builds up to this moment and I don't really... Maybe I've missed something from the previous one. You know, maybe Mm. it's inherent in an archaeologist. I don't know that they would like, I want to be there. I want to know. I felt that fell emotionally flat because I wasn't invested enough in this idea of him wanting to go back in time. Yeah, the the only t- it didn't work. like explanation I could find for it was almost that it was an expression of his alienation from the world that he was in and his True. sadness. So just like he probably just wants to do this as a way of like escaping the world where he is currently living. So at least I can at least be in history and you know it's like it, it's almost like a really really exotic holiday. That's just kind of how I saw it. I didn't see it as something that was an expression of like his true whatever. Yes, he might be I'm interested in the past or what have you. But I didn't, like you said, yeah, that fell flat to me. I was just like, I don't really see how this is strongly your motivation for mm. wanting to stay here. It felt more like you, the reason why you want to stay here is because, like, the present that you're coming from doesn't really have true. much left yeah, for you. Yeah, that so, is true. So you which feel, is like, why they you have feel like the a epilogue. relic of the past. Yeah. Mm. Um, which is why they have the epilogue where he goes back and sees Marion again. And yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I think the only so, other thing you mentioned before, sorry, you mentioned before about um, the reappearance of the Nazis. I didn't understand. Mads Mikkelsen looked like he got absolutely smashed off that train. <laughs> I didn't get it. I was like, hang on a minute. Is he, is he, like when he was sitting down, I was thinking like, is he kind of crippled and we're doing that whole thing again? You know, like the, the cripple. And there was obviously, this is a classic to the genre, people with scars and all the rest of it. Mm. Going, wah, wah, wah. But he didn't, he wasn't like that. And then I thought, is it a time thing here? Because obviously we have time travel later on. Is yeah. it a time thing here? He, he managed to go back and change that. Has he got absolutely smashed? And then when he's just, he's just walking around like no one's business. Yeah, yeah. Like um, nothing happened. 
No. And then the other thing was I really didn't understand at the beginning of the film the connection between... Did they know they were Nazis and neo-Nazis? Yeah. Is it an allusion to the fact, obviously, America has neo-Nazis within the country... Uh, but yeah, then why are they yeah. working with the CIA? It, it just, exactly. It, it was all just a bit very, it was very, very strange to me, the beginning part. But on the other hand, and this goes into the nostalgia, everyone knows that the first and the second film, the Nazis were the big, you know, they were the big enemy. Exactly. And then when it came, yeah. when it came round to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the Soviets didn't work quite as well because they were basically yeah. Nazis, but they're not Nazis because the Nazis are gone. It's the fifties now. The enemy is yeah. the Soviets, but the Soviets aren't really the Nazis. You know, it's. No. I think they, in order to again, probably suit their audience for the purposes of nostalgia, had to go back to that. But like you said, it opened up a can of worms in a way about, well, where is this now? Is it just a a hangover is, you know, of the, uh, from the, from the other films and of, of Nazism in the, you know, the late 20th century. I don't know. I I did. At the end of the day though, it was the same bonkers thing of, I'm going to go back and and I'm going to kill Hitler and and I'm going to put things right. And, And of course, then they end, up completely the wrong period but then acting you know (laughs) absolutely murderous fashion um yep yeah so personally that was my sort of confused somewhat baffled but also somewhat amused understanding of why they they revisited the nazis i think also in saying that you've literally cut just encapsulated the general response to this film (laughs) <laughs> because that's how I felt confused somewhat baffled slightly amused that was it yeah. like, that's, that's like basically all I got because a yeah. lot of things were just not fitting the pieces were not gelling it felt a little date like it felt not just dated in the sense of the setting of the film but dated in the sense of like the troops that they were bringing back and stuff like that I was just like I don't know who this is for because if you're trying to tug at my nostalgia heartstrings like they've broken like <laughs> nothing left to pull like I'm tired um, <laughs> yeah, I, so, I think as yeah. well, I think as well, the when you talk about its dated tropes and also it's very much trying to revisit the aesthetics of um, of the original three films. The yeah. problem is that there's so much, in my opinion, quite bad CGI. Everything just looks uncanny, like and especially the action yeah. sequences. And one yeah. of the things that I think people do engage within these films in its escapist fantasies, masculine, alpha masculine fantasism, you know, is the fact that those sequences, because they had to do it, you know, practically, are still seen as these great practical action set pieces. Yeah. And the thing with this is it does not look good a lot of the time. Uh, yeah. The car sequences, um, you know, where they're riding around, I think it's Tangier in Tuk Tuk's and mm. the awful bit where he's riding a horse down a subway. Uh, yeah, it just, that, that... it looks so unrealistic. I felt those sequences were way too long. There is some good stuff, as I said, you know, that I like the sequence where uh, they escape from the boat. Um, I even yeah. like the underwater sequence. I didn't think that was yeah, too yeah, bad. That, but That was, yeah, yeah. Nah, it's. I think you've you sort of put your finger on it. Really, is other than for fans of Indiana Jones, and I, I guess it's the same conversation we had with Bond. Really, w- yeah. what is this? 
what is this really for? And I don't know whether it's really capable as a franchise of massive reinvention. And I think with this adventure genre that relies so much on, like you talked about, imperial tropes, exoticism, mm. that cavalier attitude of the imperial tourist and, and the colonialists and so on, I don't know whether the genre itself is, unless it starts to self-reflect, is capable of a reinvention. So in the end, you're just left with, you know, a aged guy who's you know doubt I, I and that's not necessarily something that's that interesting to watch but it was no. the script was fun in places uh there were mm. some good bits in it i think you know i, I still really liked harrison ford in this I, I liked him in skull as well um but yeah, yeah. just <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I like how we just said that at the same time, like, yeah. <laughs> That's, that just, like, basically captures what this film was about. But honestly, I genuinely don't have much else to say because you said everything that I thought about. I was like, again, I don't know who this is for. I don't know what the audience is. I don't know if it has any self-reflection as to precisely what it is advertising, especially from the imperialist lens of just capturing artifacts from other places. Because, like I said, Indiana Jones is just... He's just the thief that we learned to root for, really. So let's just call it what it is. And yeah, like I generally don't have anything else to say. Like, I mean, obviously, if you're like a big fan of the of the series and you think, you know, that you'd like to see one final like M hurrah, then of course, mm-hmm. yeah, by all means, like, yes. knock yourself out. But for me, I just felt like, eh, okay, fine. At least like they actually showed one of these heroes like retiring finally, thank God. Like just go to sleep please <laughs> <laughs> well i that's yeah a- i i think that's i think that's the perfect way if you are someone who is a real indiana jones devotee then go and see it uh, i think i mm. think it's better than king with the crystal skull there's nothing that's going to offend you or it's out of place or anything like that you're not really going to be much provoked either you know it's it's nice to see harrison ford have his little indiana jones swan song but um, at the same time, like you said, for the for the casual film goer, someone said asked me, you know, should I go and see it in the cinema? And I thought, not really. And I know I shouldn't wait say for that the DVD. Cinemas, well, wait for it to be on Disney Plus. You know? Yes. <laughs> but I know I shouldn't say Plus. that. I know I shouldn't say that because it's like, look, cinemas struggle with everyone else, cost of living crisis, blah yeah. blah blah. So you know, but there are other films to go and see. You know, yeah, like yeah, across absolutely. the Spider Verse is still in the cinema, <laughs> and of course yeah. we're about to have some big releases. You know, in in a few weeks' time. So yeah, yeah. If you can't get to a cinema, just wait. Just watch them in a row. You know, whatever. You know, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm done now. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same here. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, yeah, we'll see you on the next one, which hopefully will be a lot more fun. I'm looking forward to our, to like our next film on the on the list. Yes, yeah. yes, should yeah. be should be excited for that one. Anyway, toodles, bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs>